want you to imagine here is a person who has some exceptionally really good news. There's a person whom he has met that can and will pay off all of your debts where you owe nothing. This same person not only has the ability and the desire to pay off all of your debts, the same person wants to give you not only a house, but a mansion. Freely given. You can have it. You can enjoy it. Not only does this person have the ability to pay off your debts, to provide for you a beautiful mansion, well furnished, but he also has the ability to heal all your diseases, every sickness that you might have. I would say if you and I encountered such an individual, we would not only want to enjoy all of those aspects ourselves, but we'd want to share the message with others. We'd want to tell them about this person with all of this generosity, with all of this goodness, the Apostle John was one of the three closest individuals to our Lord on the face of this earth. He, along with Peter and his brother James, spent an inordinate amount of time comparing with everyone else with our Lord. And the Gospel of John is the account of John with regards to the life of Jesus and the kind of things that he encountered and faced as he was walking on the face of this earth. I want to begin by pointing out to you that the old devil just does not give up. It seems that he tries to stop good from happening. He doesn't want you to have your debts paid off. He doesn't want you to enjoy that eternal mansion. He does not want you to have all of your illnesses your sin sickness forgiven. Oh, but if you do take advantage of those blessings, he tries to disrupt the good from continuing. He wants to persuade you it's time, it's a place to walk away from those blessings. And he wants to cause you to lose that which you have offered. And the sad thing is he has so many helpers. In the context in which you and I are discussing, we're studying through the Gospel of John and we're to the second half of chapter 10 and John is pointing out that you have all of these scribes, all of these Pharisees who are trying to make it difficult for our Lord to communicate with the average man. As the Lord is trying to persuade people of who he is and what he is, they're constantly challenging him on every point. But thankfully, neither God nor Jesus gives up easily either. In fact, they never give up. God loves man so much, he wants every man to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Thus, the conflict continues. That conflict that has been going on since the creation of man. And we are going to just observe a little window of it in John chapter 10. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the event. 
we're going to look at the encounter, and then we're going to look at the Lord's explanation. Let's begin first of all. Let's read together John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, as I begin to explore all of this, for many of us, you read that term, Feast of Dedication. You may not know, but that occurs on the 25th of Kislev. You say, well, I don't understand that. That's the Jewish month. It's also known as the Festival of Lights or more popularly known today as Hanukkah. And if you don't know what the word Hanukkah means, it means dedication. For just a minute or two, I'd like to be able to explain to you a little bit of the background behind that. Right after the close of the Old Testament, the Grecian Empire of Alexander the Great took over. When Alexander died, he left his kingdom to four of his generals. One of the four of those was known as the Seleucids. That's not really that important for us to understand, but of that group, there was a group of them that ruled over the land of Palestine, over the land where Israel was located. And among them was a family of rulers whose name was Antiochus. Antiochus. And you come to the fourth of those, Antiochus IV, who had taken the name for himself Epiphanes, which talks about he's like a god. He was an arrogant madman is what he was. And he came and his predecessors had allowed the Jewish people to worship however they wanted to. But he believed that they were planning a revolt. And so he came to Jerusalem, killed about 80,000 people. And he put the statue and the god Zeus in the temple of the Lord and he offered pigs on the altar. He commanded the Jews now to no longer worship the God of heaven but to worship Zeus. They would not do it. They rebelled. You can imagine the kind of attitude that was going along among the Jewish people during this period of time. And so what they did, they began to rebel and a family arose whose name was Maccabees. And their revolt ultimately led to throwing off Antiochus IV. And they, at that time, took the statue of Zeus out of the temple and they rededicated the temple to God and they cleansed the altar and tried to purify it. There's a tradition that says that when they got in there, there was all of the oil for the lamp that had been desecrated. But there was one little jar supposedly that had enough to last a day, and they say it lasted eight days. That's the reason why they celebrate the Feast of Dedication for eight days and the lighting of lamps. And the idea for them is is that this is a festival of lights to remember the light. It's a festival of dedication to remember the rededication of the temple. That's not an Old Testament teaching. That just became a tradition among the Jewish people. That's when Jesus is in Jerusalem. 
This is approximately two months after the Feast of Tabernacles. And John tells us it's winter, probably middle to late December. And while our Lord is here, he's walking in this area of Solomon's porch. Then you say, well, I don't understand the significance of why John would bring that up. I do. It's because it's a time of nationalism. You can compare it to us, to our Independence Day. It's a time when we said we as a nation want to have life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. And when July the 4th comes every year, people put flags in their yard. They talk about freedom. During the Feast of Dedication, people's minds were focused on our being a people of God. The temple and every Jewish home was lit up. They kept the lights burning all night because that was a symbol of God's dedication to them. But then when you think about what our Lord said, do you remember John chapter 9 verse 5? As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Oh, that begins to take on another significance now. The festival of lights, remembering it. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Oh, he is. They also remembered the invaders that sought to change the worship at the temple. Here is Jesus at the temple. And you have him as the light of the world. But what is happening is there are people saying, no, don't pay attention to that light. He is not the light of the world. He is false. He is darkness. Which is going to lead us to an encounter. Notice with me now as we pick up in verse 24 and we read through verse 27. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, but you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, the phrase, tell us plainly. And you might say, well, I've gotten it. I've been reading along as we've covered these lessons all the way through chapter 10, and I think the Lord's been pretty plain. But you have to remember, when the Lord spoke publicly, He had been speaking often in figures. In fact, if you just want to look earlier in this context, back to chapter 10 and verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things that he spoke to them. Jesus is using a parable. Jesus is using an illustration. And I know that people's minds are saying, well, why didn't he just tell them plainly? Why didn't the Lord just come out in so many words and say, I want everybody to know I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. I know why he did not do that. 
Had he done so without performing the works first, people would have immediately said, you have no proof. You have no legitimacy. You don't prove who you are by just saying who you are. Sometimes you have to use an illustration to get people's agreement first and then you provide for them the evidence. Good illustration. Do you remember when God sent Nathan the prophet to David? And Nathan went in and he explained to David that in this city there were two men. There was a rich man and there's a poor man. And the rich man had many flocks and herds. The poor man had one little ewe lamb, and not only did he just have one, but it sat at his table. It, he treated it like it was one of his children. It even drank of his cup. No, that's a pet. And then there was a wayfaring stranger came to the rich man's house, and the rich man, rather than going out to all of his herds and his flocks, goes and takes the poor man's one little ewe lamb and offers it, as food for his stranger. David was incensed. How dare a man do something so low and despicable as that? And Nathan looked at him and said, You are the man. David could not argue with Nathan. Jesus has been presenting the parables of what the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah should be. And then he himself fulfilled all of that and a person who's honest and who's fair would look and say, that must be the Christ. But Jesus had been very plain with people in private. Do you remember in John chapter 4 when he met the woman at the well? This woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am who speak to you am he. It's me who you were looking for, the Christ, the Messiah. Or do you remember in John chapter 9, Jesus meets with a man who was born blind after he's been cast out. He asked him in verse 35 of chapter 9, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I should believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is speaking or talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You see, as the Lord presents himself to the woman or to the man who was born blind, he was very plain as to who he was because they were willing and ready to believe. But you see, the, those who didn't believe in Jesus were constantly challenging him to speak it openly, speak it plainly. If you go back a little earlier to John chapter 8, he said in verse 25 and verse 53, he said, they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying from the beginning. Drop down to verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? Who are you claiming to be? You remember his brothers in John chapter 7 and verse 4? 
For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What the enemies are doing is they're saying, go ahead, make your statement, make your claim, and then we'll try to destroy you for it. Jesus' answer, you're not my sheep. Wow, how profound is that? You are not my sheep. Now look with me at verses 31 through 33. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is not the first time that they've taken up stones. Back in chapter 8 and verse 59, it says, Then they took up stones to throw at him. Of course, Jesus escapes and gets out of their area. But these people do not have Jesus' best interest at heart. Nor are they being fair and just and impartial. They hate him. They want to kill him. They're looking for an opportunity. In fact, you remember John 8, the first few verses, the woman who was taken in adultery, it's all about trying to entrap him. But Jesus has already told them back in chapter 7 and verse 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And so he asked them, for which of these works do you stone me? Why does he draw attention to the works? It's because they prove that he's the Christ. They are proof that he's the Son of God. And what do they do when he brings up the works? Well, we're not going to talk about the works. We're going to talk about your claim. Well, if you're going to make a claim, you've got to look at the proof. And they're rejecting the proof, just dismissive, out of hand. But there's something in the latter part of that section that is really important. They said, we don't stone you because of the good works. We stone you because of blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself as God. Here is something that they could not grasp, wrap their minds around or accept. They could not envision God taking the form of flesh. But John is going to keep reminding us that Jesus did come in the flesh. John 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When he wrote his first John letter, he said in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, By this you shall know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Those who deny it have the spirit of the Antichrist. Yes, these people, they're encountering Jesus. There's a confrontation there. And the confrontation is, who is he? They've said, tell us plainly. He said, I've told you, you just don't believe. 
which leads me to the third part of our lesson, and that is the explanation. Let's look at verses 27 through 30 here for just a few minutes. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. What a powerful statement that is found here. Because Jesus returns to the shepherd and the sheep figure. And what a powerful illustration that is. Thinking of God's people as a flock and thinking of Jesus as being the great shepherd. We studied about that last Sunday morning. We also talked about of the duties of the good shepherd. One of them is that of protection. Protection from wild animals that may come and take and kill one of the sheep. There's also the problem that Jesus has discussed early in John 10. He talks about the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And it's here where we begin to understand the reason for the encounter and the reason for the conflict. Because Jesus' sheep listen. Jesus' sheep follow. Jesus' sheep know who he is. These people don't know him. That proves they're not his sheep. But I want to follow this figure a little bit further here. He says, no enemy will catch or kill any of God's sheep. No one is more powerful than God. If you think of a shepherd trying to defend his flock, some shepherds may be capable and powerful, but they may not be as powerful, for instance, as a bear or a lion or some huge wild animal. But there's no one in the position to overpower God. The devil, as powerful as he may be, and as many as may serve him, cannot conquer God. Well, that brings me to a question that many of us have to face in dealing with our religious neighbors. Does this mean that a child of God cannot be lost? Does that mean, as many of our religious neighbors may tell us, once you're in grace, you're always in grace? Or to rephrase it, once saved, always saved? Or as they put it in their literature, the perseverance of the saints? I think it's worth a little bit of time to explore that as we go through here. The Bible warns against apostasy. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's a key word in there. Departing. 
Oh, no one is able to come and snatch a sheep out of God's hand. But can a sheep walk off and leave? Absolutely. You remember Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned aside to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 6. When Paul wrote the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 4, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempted to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. Or, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The Spirit says there will be some people who will not be taken away, but depart. They leave of their own free will. So here's the explanation. The enemies of the Lord will not prevail. The devil cannot take you against your will. You want to be a faithful child of God, you can be. But the devil can't have you without your willingness. Number two, God knows how to take care of his people. He knows how. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What that means is every one of us, as we find ourselves encountering the devil, have a way out. God will not allow the devil to overpower you. 2 Peter 2 verse 9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to do this. Or Jude verse 24, Now him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless for the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Let's wrap it all up. When you get to the end of John chapter 10, you read verses 40 through 42. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed him there. What a powerful place the Jordan River must have been. John baptized untold numbers of people there in the Jordan River. In fact, he not only baptized untold numbers, he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Now Jesus, after having been there for the Feast of Tabernacles and now for the Feast of Dedication, decides it's time to leave Jerusalem. It's time to go back to the Jordan, in fact to this area beyond the Jordan. And when you get there, some are ready to follow the Lord and believe. They're ready to listen to Him. They recognize now. They're being honest. They're being fair. Look at what he did. Look at what John did. And 
No man's ever been like this man. So I end our lesson this morning with this question. Are you willing to judge Jesus fairly and honestly? Are you willing to, as these people did, follow him where he goes? Are you willing to be his sheep and he your shepherd? Well, if you want to become a child of God this morning, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's so important. That's the foundational place where you begin. From that, you repent of your sins. That's not just simply saying, I've changed my mind a little bit. It's where you change your mind, you change your will, you change your life. And then you confess to others you believe that Jesus is the Christ and then buried with Him in baptism. When you study the book of Acts, every time that a person wants to become a child of God, they are baptized for the remission of their sins. If you've not done that, we'd love this morning to have a new brother, new sister in Christ. If you'll come forward to the front pew up here, we'll assist you in that immediately. And if you're a Christian struggling through this world with sin, don't let Satan have you. The only way he can have you is if you agree and you say, I'm willing to follow. Let me encourage you to come back to the Lord because as I began our lesson, he is the one who can take care of all your debts. He is the one who can provide you an eternal home. He is the one who can heal all your diseases. Would you come while we stand and sing?